Like, I wasn't sure what I was going to preach over the next two weeks. I've got ideas after that, but I didn't have any idea. And so I called a friend of mine named Mark Tom, who, uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends, some of you know him and went to Israel with him. Um, but but uh, he's listened to my sermons since I became a pastor. So he's listened to like all my sermons. And, um, and so I messaged him. I said, what have I not really preached on? Like you've been listening for... 10 plus years, what is it you've always wished I would talk about and I don't seem to talk about? And, and he, he said to me, he was really interested in the topic of the Messiah. He said, we talk about it at Christmas, you know, but, but I've never heard anybody really talk about, you know, what, what was the Messiah and what were they expecting? And, and how much did the prophets know about Jesus? And, and how come when Jesus comes, they, they don't recognize him as the Messiah? And so I thought, actually, it's kind of a neat idea for a kind of a pre-Advent sermon series. Like, to not associate it with Christmas, but I think it'll set up some of our Christmas sort of topics and texts. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at this idea of the, of the Messiah. We're going to develop it this week in the Old Testament and then go into the New Testament a little more next week. So, so to set the stage, it, throughout the entire Old Testament, Israel keeps running up against a theological crisis that, that's partially an identity crisis. And, and it goes like this. See if it sounds familiar to you. If God is so big and so powerful and so good, how come the world is so, so garbage, right? How come if God is really God and God is good, why is the world so broken? And if God loves us and we are God's chosen people, then from Israel's perspective, how come we end up in slavery in Egypt? How come we end up in exile? How come the Philistines keep pushing us around? Like again and again and again, they have theological things they believe about God and about themselves. But when they look at the world, they think that's not how that's supposed to be. And so again and again, throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea, there's a broken world and somehow God's got to fix it. And no matter what happens in Israel, they can't seem to fix it themselves. But God keeps working, and in the Old Testament, God normally likes to work through people. Okay, God's game plan. Plan A for God is normally to have somebody rise up and be the important person. Maybe it's Abraham called from Ur. Moses called from a burning bush. David called while he's out watching his sheep. But God keeps bringing up these leaders to say, okay, fix that. All right, bring them back in line. But what's the problem? The problem is it's still broken. It's still broken. Now, the word that the Bible uses a lot is that God anoints people. This comes from this particular idea that, that, that at certain points, people would take oil and actually anoint someone. Maybe dribble it on their head, maybe wipe their head with it, maybe pour it over their head. We, we can't totally know in each case exactly how it was done. But the person was anointed. The oil was poured over them as a symbol for God's spirit being poured out upon them. And the word for that, the word for oil, is Messiah. So a Messiah is someone who is anointed with oil. Okay? And it happens all the time in the Old Testament. Kings like Saul, David, Absalom, Solomon, we know that they were anointed with oil. They would have been called anointed ones. Sometimes in Hebrew, it happens in Greek too. You can take an adjective and make it into something. So, so the word Messiah just means anointed, like the anointed. 
anointed one. Sometimes we have to add one or something like that to get the understanding. Aaron and his sons and, and a man named Zadok are anointed as priests. Okay, Elijah uh, anoints Elisha as his successor. Okay, the language is, is, is often that the spirit of the Lord is upon them because the oil is not that big a deal. It's just oil. What's special is God brings his special presence to be with this person to help them lead in this broken world. So, so here we have this Israel struggling with this identity of this broken world. They know that, that God uses people. God even uses pagan kings in the Old Testament. King Cyrus of Persia is called the Messiah. He's anointed because God uses him to help bring the people back. But again, how come the world doesn't seem to fix? How, how are we going to understand that? Well, that job goes to the prophets. The prophets were the ones who interpreted what's going on in the world and what God's will is for the people. And that's what a prophet does. Okay, we tend to think prophets just predict the future. Okay, but that's really not what prophets did. Prophets got a message from the Lord and it shared it with the people. The word prophet is the word nevi'im. It's probably borrowed from an Akkadian word that means to proclaim, mention, call, summon. Okay, prophet just means to call. To, to say it. They are the microphone of God. They are the sound systems for God. The other word that's sometimes used for prophet is seer. Okay, see, some, some prophets hear the word of the Lord and some prophets see visions. But whether they're hearing or they're seeing, the whole point is they get something from God, they give it to the people. They're microphones. So the job of the prophet is to pass it along. According to Deuteronomy 34, the greatest prophet was Moses. We don't tend to think of Moses as a prophet, but Moses spoke face to face with God. You don't get any closer to giving the message than that. Nobody else gets to talk directly with God and then come down off the mountain and tell the people what God just said. Okay, so Moses is the greatest of the prophets. And it's the job of the prophets to seek God's thoughts, God's vision, and share it with the people. They have to interpret what's going on in the world. So actually, if you go back and really study the prophets, most of the time they're actually talking about now, not the future. Some of it's like, how did we get here? Some of it's like, how will this resolve? But they're actually mostly concerned with what's going on right now. Okay, They only see small parts related to what's going on. They don't know totally what the future's whole, future holds, but they have to sort of imagine, well, what's God going to do? Well, what does God normally do? He raises up leaders. They get glimpses. They get insights. They get sort of pieces of the larger plan. And the major thing that the prophets interpret in the Old Testament isn't actually about a messianic person. You go back and actually study. What you're going to find is the prophets are actually looking for a messianic time. A period. Not a person. Okay, they're primarily looking for a time when the world is as it should be. Where all this stuff that's happening that doesn't look like God is that good or God is that powerful stops and the world acts the way it should. They see a messianic kingdom. Let me give you a couple examples. A couple of these may be a little familiar to you. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's actually also in Micah 4, 1 through 4. So one of them was copying the other paper or something because it's the same. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob, for they, that he may teach us his ways and that he may, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay, so what's, what's Isaiah and Micah imagining? This world where we don't, need, we don't need to study war. You don't need your weapons. You can take your guns, you can take your knives and just make them rakes. Okay, because we don't need them because the world is so peaceful because God makes the world how it should be. Here's another glimpse from Isaiah 11. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. The little child shall lead them. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. In a day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So again, this anointed world where like wolves, lambs can just sleep, they just sleep together. There's no fighting, there's no attacking. Nobody is bullying somebody else. Nobody is attacking anybody else. This peaceful world where children are safe, even around cobras. We can look at many other examples, but this is the big idea. Okay, Not a messianic person, but a messianic time. There's this time coming when there's going to be peace. Right? There's not going to be cancer. There won't be elections. Right? There's going to be like, like no accidents. Prayer requests are going to get really boring. Because the world's going to be how it should be. And not what we all want. Amen. And the prophets are saying, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Now the question becomes, how? How is it going to come about? And this is where the prophets try to reach, but they're a little more fuzzy. The clear vision is, it's got to fix. But how is it going to fix? What, how has God worked in the past? Through Messiahs. Through anointed ones that come and rise up and fix. And so the prophets... In sort of prayerfully imagining this, start thinking, well, maybe it's going to be somebody like Moses. Maybe it'll be like a great priest that'll come up. Maybe, maybe we need a new prophet, a new Elijah. But of course, who is the great leader in the greatest time in Israel's history? King David. And so King David becomes the core. Even the section I read in Isaiah 11 talked about the root of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David. And so when they imagine, oh, well, how is this new world going to come about? Well, it's got to be somebody kind of like David, right? Let me give you a couple examples. Ezekiel 34 says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set the, over them a shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them and he, and, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord and I have spoken. So Ezekiel imagines God rescuing Israel like a flock, which is a great image for a people that spent all that time in the desert and a great image to, to use for King David, who was actually a shepherd. Okay, So they're, they're imagining, how is this new world going to come about? Ah, David. It's got to be something like David, like a shepherd. Here's another one we, we often hear during Advent. 
I'm trying not to use Christmas passages, but I want to use this one in particular. Micah 5.2 5, Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now who's from Bethlehem? Jesus. But who was from Bethlehem first? David. David. David comes from Bethlehem. So Micah's saying it's going to be somebody like Somebody like David is going to come. He's going to, help's going to come from Bethlehem. And he's going to, what? Be a, be a shepherd. Be a ruler. So we've got a couple big questions then as we look at this. Are the prophets literally looking for David to come back? Are the prophets thinking of Jesus? That's an interesting question, right? When they say this, are they actually, uh, is Micah picturing Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem? Or is he talking about something else? How do the New Testament writers start looking back at these passages? And what did people in the first century expect from the Messiah? Actually, we can knock out a couple of these quickly. Are the prophets literally looking for David to come back? No. We can say that right away. Okay, that passage actually talks about the the person who's coming from Bethlehem has been known since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the ages. No, this is one way bigger than a literal person of David. They're using David as a typology, a picture, a model, kind of, kind of way of sensing how this is going to work. Number two, are the prophets thinking about Jesus directly? I don't think that we can say that they are. Now, let me give you a great example. Back to that Micah 5 passage. Okay, We said Micah 5 says that the, the, the coming one is going to be born in Bethlehem. But here's what verse 5 says. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into the land and treads on our places, palaces. Then he will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Did you catch that reference to the Assyrians? The Assyrians stopped being a people 600 years before the birth of Jesus. So whatever Micah's talking about, he's talking about somebody rescuing them from the Assyrians. Not from the Romans. There's no Romans yet, everybody. No, they're seeing this immediate thing that's sort of happening. They're seeing this sort of immediate thing that's happening. It's only in hindsight in the New Testament that we we start looking at these passages. Nobody in the the first century was looking at this and saying, Oh, oh, he's got to come from Bethlehem. The first time we have reference to that is in the birth of Jesus. They weren't thinking that way. How do the New Testament authors then get there? Well, they're looking backwards. They're looking backwards. And they were taught by Jesus. Do you remember this story after his resurrection? On the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking along. And the text tells us the beginning with Moses and the prophets. He went back and showed them how this all had to be. So Jesus looks back and says, yeah, that was me. And that was me. And I was coming there. But the prophets in the meantime, I, I, I think, have trouble with that. But, but here's an image for you. I got this out of a book called God's Messiah in the Old Testament. Here's a a good way to think about this, I think. Think about a a mosaic. Everybody know what I mean by a mosaic? Or if you need an even more particular, uh, we we can think about it like stained glass. Okay, because we got one right there. Okay, it's kind of like the prophets have pieces of the glass. Or pieces of the mosaic. Like they've got their individual micahs like, okay, whoever's going to help us from Assyria is going to come from Bethlehem. 
And then, and then Isaiah's got his pieces and, and a suffering servant and all of these. But, but what happens is when we look back at all the little pieces that were there, we get a picture. We get a stained glass. We get a mosaic. We get a portrait of Jesus. So we can look back and say, oh, so this is what the New Testament does a lot. They look back at the Christmas story and they say, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Micah knew a lot more than he knew he knew. Oh, my goodness. Isaiah was talking about Jesus. He probably didn't even know it. And they start making the argument. But think about this, everybody. Why does the New Testament have to make this argument? Because the people in the first century didn't get it. They didn't understand who Jesus was supposed to be. They had their own pictures. In fact, in the first century, there were lots of arguments about the Messiah. Probably a lot of people didn't even think about a Messiah. They were just trying to survive. A lot of people might talk about a messianic kingdom. Like, hey, when are we going to kick out these Romans and we're going to be free, right? The prophets are more clear about a time of peace and prosperity. But who was the Messiah? Well, some would have said it was a priest. Some people would have argued that it had to be a king and it had to be a royal king. Some would have argued that maybe there were, there were there, we even know that there were some people who argued for more than one Messiah. That there might be a priest and a king. Might have to have two, two uh, Messiahs to bring about this new kingdom. There was all kinds of arguments about who the Messiah was going to be. They didn't all agree. So when Jesus comes in, he doesn't fit all of their models. Jesus wasn't a king, right? He, he didn't in, enact a new thing. He didn't, like, kick out the Romans. He didn't make everything. Actually, he ascended to heaven, leaving the world fairly the way it was. That didn't fit anybody's expectation. It's only later that the, they start, like, oh, they start looking back and figuring out, oh, Jesus was the Messiah. And look, look at all these things we can make arguments about. We can show the people how Jesus was the Messiah. But it's only because they can look back at the whole picture. It's only because they can look back at the whole glass. And so they try to make that argument for people. Try to show people. And not everybody's buying what they're selling. See, this is a tricky part of the Messiah. This is a tricky part of the Messiah. And so when we get into Advent, you start hearing some of these passages realize how radical some of those claims are. Oh, Jesus is the one Micah is talking about. That's wild. That's wild. And yet he, he doesn't do what they expect him to do. And here's the hard part is the world's still pretty messed up. So, so where did he do it? This, this is the challenge I think we have. This is the challenge I think we have. We look around this world and we are asking a lot of the same questions. If God is so good, why is this world so broken? Why is the prayer request list so long? Hey, why are the systems messed up? Why are certain people not given opportunities that other people are given? How come bad people seem to do well and good people seem to suffer? What is wrong with this world? And as we hit elections this week, a lot of us are asking those very questions. Another round of commercials and mailers. Another round of people thinking that whatever happens on Tuesday is going to bring them hope and fix their problems. No, we're all hunting. We're all hunting for, for how 
This world should be different. Wolves laying down with lambs, I'd be happy for a Republican and Democrat to sit on the same table. Right? What is going on in our world? And, and, and there's so much unrest. When, don't we all long for a world where we don't need guns and we don't need knives, we just need farming implements? That would be awesome. And there's a huge debate going on in Christianity today about, okay, if we really think God is going to fix it, how is God going to fix it? What kind, of a, what kind of a Messiah are we expecting shapes dramatically how, I, how we relate to God. We're going to wrestle with that even more next week. But what kind of Messiah are we going to get? Will it be a politician? Will it be a good economy? Will it be changes in global politics? Will it be some charismatic leader? Will it be when certain laws are, are put in place or are repealed? What kind of, what, what, how do we expect God to fix this world? That's a huge question for us. And here's the thing. God doesn't seem to be real interested in doing it our way. Right? God doesn't seem... I don't think God lets us down, but He does seem to be very willing to not live up to your expectations. Hey, God is going to be the kind of God He's going to be, and He's going to fix this world the way He wants to fix it. And sometimes we have trouble in our faith, but it's just because our expectations are bad, not because God is bad. How will God save this world? See, this is, as I got into thinking about the Messiah, I, I think this is like still such a huge, relevant and important question for us. What is wrong with the world and how is God going to fix it? And if we don't agree on that, then of course we're going to disagree on a whole lot of other things. So we're going to explore this more next week as we go into the New Testament, but chew on that a little bit this week. Chew on that a little bit this week. Try to listen for the promises of different messiahs, different messianic plans. But, but let's also remember where our hope comes from. Our hope comes from the fact that we believe this time, this messianic period of peace and prosperity is still coming. It's still coming. And whatever happens in an election, whatever happens in our lives, however broken it may look now, it's still coming. Keep your hope there. Amen.